Hey everyone, welcome to We Weren't Friends in High School, the podcast where I reunite with high school classmates for my graduating class of Wissahickon High School in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I'm Brad Corbett, class of 2001. Thanks again to Chrissy DeGroot, aka Chrissy Shuck, for episode 217. It's available in the archives. I saw Chrissy again a couple days after the episode was released, and she designed some plants for all of my windows in my living room, just like we talked about, and I'm super happy about it. And I totally forgot to mention, but the hoodie that I'm wearing in the interview with Chrissy is a Myrtle and Magnolia hoodie that she gave me before we started the podcast. I love hoodies, and this thing is super warm, and it's quality material. So thanks again to Chrissy for not just the conversation, but the plants and the swag. And you can check out the Myrtle and Magnolia hoodie that I'm rocking with Chrissy DeGroot at youtube.com slash redshirtplaya. Follow the podcast on Instagram at We Weren't Friends in High School and like and follow the Facebook page. My guest this week is Pat Novak. Pat is the third twin to do the show. Pat's brother Tom was also in Wissahickon for a while, and Pat will get into that in a minute. Pat lives in Austin, Texas, so this is back to the Zoom recordings. Like a lot of schools, I guess this show is in somewhat of a hybrid mode right now. But um, I have finally gotten my microphone hooked up for the Zoom recording. So you'll probably notice a difference in my audio quality from previous podcasts done over Zoom. And now at least my microphone will always sound like this. Fingers crossed. All right. If that's not the most boring story, let's get into something much more interesting. Here's my conversation with Pat Novak. So... You know, when I when I usually start these podcasts, Pat, I think the first question I usually ask is um, when did you come into Wissahickon? When did you come into the area? Did you already start in the district? But I thought it'd be really interesting with you in this case to ask you a very direct question that maybe I'll get a different answer from when I ask other people. Shoot. Was I an asshole to you? No. Ah! I mean, unless you were unless I mean. I mean, we were never like, you know, like, like, like close knit friends, but I mean, we were, you were never like just an absolute dick or anything. I mean, I don't have a bad memory, a bad memory of you, which is kind of why when you reached out, I was kind of like, okay, this is something I would like to entertain just because, you know, like you weren't, you weren't a dick or a jerk or anything. I mean, it's like, I, I my, my, my mantra is, is if I don't want to talk to you, I won't waste my breath. So, mm. you know, I just... I mean, there, there, of course, were some, you know, it, it, was, it was high school. It was, you know, there were the cliques and there was, you know, personalities. But now that we're older, we can look back and reflect and be like, man, I was a dick. But now, I mean, you were, I, I, I can't think of a time when you and I had any kind of a beef, if, if anything. I mean, I think we were more just acquaintances and just, you know, just friendly because we didn't dislike each other or have a, a, a hatred or anything. We just ran with different circles of people. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I entered Wissahickon in third grade at Stony Creek because my we were living in Norristown, and we moved to Bluebell when I was in third grade. So I, I started Stony Creek um, with Mr. Rothman, and then Tom had Mr. Gerber, and just kind of went from there. Yeah, you know that's that's an interesting thing is that you're also another twin. Yeah, there were a lot of twins in our in our class. There was there were- us. The blacks, the mullets, men, young men sang. Yep, mullets. The mullets, guy. Yeah, there were a lot of twins, and I guess 1983 was a good year. 
<laughs> we had to see what kind of music was coming out in 82. <laughs> right. Seriously, there must be nothing going on. <laughs> Um, so then for you, you know, we've, I talked to Susie, I've never talked to brother, uh, any type of brother twins. I haven't talked to Andy. Um, and of course the mullets are, are girls and Susie's done the show and, and Lizzie just did it. But what was it like being like twin brothers? What's the dynamic so there? So it was interesting is that our mom never wanted us to be like the same person. So when we, when we entered with Hicken, she made it clear that she wanted us to be in like separate classes and she made it clear that they're two individual people. So when we were younger, Tom and I were like completely different people. We had different friends, different circles, different interests. And now that we're older, it's kind of like we've gotten very, very close. And I actually live with Tom and my sister-in-law and my two nephews just because it made sense. And it, it was just weird growing up because Tom and I were just so different and different to the spectrum. So it was always kind of like, yeah, that's my brother. But we were always at opposite sides of the cafeteria, opposite sides of the gymnasium. So it was just it was kind of a weird dynamic growing up. It was like we're, we're we're brothers, but we weren't friends, so to speak. And it was it was just it was it was kind of awkward, but we had like an understanding, and <laughs> you know, it's just it just kind of worked. I said now that we're older, and you know that, that, that I live with them, um, we've gotten very close. We have this real quirky family unit, you know, where where my nephews are here and uncles here, and it just worked. So it was, it was just. When we were younger, it was more awkward. I think because we we're trying to figure out who we were as a person and our personalities are developing. Um, but you know, like I said now now that we're older and grown up and have careers and, and you know, I mean, I'm almost forty, so it's just it just we've gotten we've gotten a lot closer as 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 a bond. So we've gotten older. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think when and, and I don't know because Tom didn't didn't actually do high school with us, right? No, Tom did not do high school with us. He had a little disciplinary behavioral problem yeah and uh, he he finished high school elsewhere but um so i think i went to i think i had monco classes with tom yeah tom um, did monco for a little bit and then my family moved to texas in 2002 i, I believe it was 2002 they, they just packed up and just moved to texas it's funny though that that's how like you guys were very you know you you looked at yourselves as like separate friends, different crews because that is kind of when I when I re when I was reintroduced to Tom in at Monco, I kind of did remember like him from middle school, and the dichotomy of like I almost forgot you guys were brothers or twins yeah. even at that because you know I felt like he kind of I don't know we talk about like popular crowd I felt he kind of like ventured more into that. And you hung out more in like, I don't know, the academic crowd, the nerdy crowd. Oh, no, is that? For, for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, I mean, he was much more with the popular crowd and I was much more with the academic crowd. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny is, is I guess it was October of 2019. I went back up to Pennsylvania because unfortunately my grandmother passed away and I hung out with uh, Ryan Dunn, Andrew Godey and Rishi Patel. And that was right before it. Ryan did the show. Yeah. And we hung out and I mean, we, we were at this restaurant in Ambler um, right by the, the train station there. I can't remember what it was called, but we got lost. We were, there. we were at that table that was there for like four hours, closed it down. And it was nice because none of us had hung out in like 10 years. You know, Ryan's married, has a kid. Bodie got married. Rishi's doing his thing. I, I'm doing my thing. And it was just it was, it was bizarre to hang out and just, you know, kind of look back and reflect and be like, man, it was just so bizarre back in, in, in high school, you know, the, the, of, of the clicks and, and who we hung out with. And now that we're older, it's kind of like, it was so silly and stupid. And, but when you're, when you're, you know, 16, 17, 18, like that was like, you know, Hey, that's the popular kids. Those are the docs, those are the, the academics. And it just, you have to kind of take a step back and just laugh at yourself and be like, ah. 
You know, we were like, like freaks and geeks, the old TV show. Yes. So then who did you hang out with growing up? Like before you got into like the, you know, the high school area as you're, as you're like, you know, a kid really growing up, what was your, your circle of friends? Was it people in the neighborhood or? It, it was more people in the neighborhood. Um, uh, Andy knew, remember her? Yeah. She lived like four houses down and she was the first person that she actually introduced herself to us when we moved into our house. Um, because she was like, Hey, you know, I, I, you guys are new to the neighborhood. And she actually gave us a gift. And it was like, remember those headphones that were like a AM FM radio thing? Yeah. She gave Tom and I each a set of these headphones and she introduced herself and her dad at the time was working for like Nabisco or something. So she had all this candy and like soda, which we weren't allowed to have. So we'd go over to their house and we'd be like in hot heaven. It was like, like each gum, good chewing gum and like all that stuff. So my first introduction to like anybody was like Andy new, which is kind of funny. And then um, Eric Bono, who was, I think a year or two behind us, he lived in the same neighborhood. Um, So we hung out with him and then just kind of as an evolution of time, just kind of, you know, once we got to middle school, I met like Scott Beck and, and, Ryan Dunn and all them, and they kind of became my you know, core group of friends. And even in high school, it was like I remember I worked at Bruhaha with Andrew Gody, and uh, then like Ryan Dunn. He worked at um, what was that sandwich place? I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, so like, the core group was like me, Ryan Dunn, Andrew Gody, Scott Beck, and Rishi. That was kind of like our core of friends that we just like hung out with. And like Friday nights, we go to Hooters in King of Prussia, which is no longer there. I think it's now next to Ruth Chris, right? I think so, yeah. And then we just like we just do like stupid, stupid shit and just hang out. And that that was the core group. At least my core group. How did you um or what what kind of stuff were you guys into before you were like high school, before you were able to drive and go to Hooters? What was, you know, like I was into I was heavy into pop culture, wrestling, a little bit of sports. Were you into you have like anything that kind of drew you guys together? Nothing in particular. I think it was more just personalities and just camaraderie of just hanging out. I mean, we would do things like hang out in Rishi's basement and play Mario Kart and just like, just, you know, just do stupid stuff that kids would do, like get together and just get lost and wander around and, you know, like walk to 7-Eleven and just, just, just do stupid stuff. Nothing, nothing in particular. Just, it was more about the camaraderie of just hanging out and not being stuck at home. Or, I mean, we would come to, to my house and just hang out in the basement and just watch television and just kind of you know kind of bullshit around and just get lost in the day and just waste time it was just more about hanging out and just hanging out not, nothing and nothing one, no one thing in particular mm. um just that was kind of our thing just getting lost with each other and just kind of for lack of a better term just bullshitting yeah were you did you have classes with them in middle school or you know we always talk about the pods on the show as far as it can be tough that even if you have friends that you've made prior to middle school or even in sixth grade or so it always, you always kind of get busted up from that group and you yeah, have I mean, to refine friends in pods. I mean, I, I don't particularly remember if we, ha- I, I want to say we did have classes together, but I, I can't, I mean, it was so long ago. And like you said, with, with how the, the, the middle school was structured with the A pod, B pod, C pod, and you know, like every year you got kind of mixed around and it was kind of like you had to re- redefine your group of friends every every year because one year you had people in one class and the next year you were in a different different pod. And then it was like, so I, I don't think, you know, it was kind of we all were acquaintances that hung out. It was more we hung out outside of school and just kind of like made made those 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 temporary friends in middle school. And then in high school kind of really defined the group and, and 
had that bond because I think with high school, we were, we were it was more easy to, to, to be with your friends and, and, and to kind of hang out. Whereas middle school, you were kind of told where to go and you kind of just had to, you just kind of had to go with the flow. Whereas in high school, you kind of, they gave a little more freedom with picking and choosing your classes and, you know, because, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm taking anatomy and physiology. Hey, I'm doing Spanish. Hey, I'm, I'm going to stick with Japanese, you know, so you could kind of give you a little bit, little bit more freedom to, to be with your friends versus middle school where it's just, hey, you're in, you're in 6B, you're in 7, you're in 8, whatever. Same teacher for every class except for your except for your language and maybe your math class. Yeah, that, that was kind of the thing about, about middle school. I remember like sixth grade I had, I think it was, I had Mr. Winokur who looked like Bob Ross. So so did I, you know. In sixth grade, so we had the same, so we had the same sixth grade class. Yeah, he had that thing in the back, those, those like. Super Carol. Yeah, Super Carol. <laughs> that was so long ago. I remember that. I remember that class so well. Um, I remember the Super Carol, and underneath we had the computer. In the bottom of the Super Carol, yes, we had the, the computer. One, the one computer. And I, I always like to tell the story of the thing that we were very into was, at least I was with a couple people, was we had the the encyclopedia, the the CD encyclopedia, Grawlier's encyclopedia, yes. and it was our first time having an encyclopedia that you didn't, it wasn't in a book. It was the closest yeah. thing we had to an internet. It didn't get updated because it was just a CD, but we had never seen like an actual audiovisual encyclopedia and we used to love to look at the pictures of madonna because she had the coned bra and this was like a like a 20th century icon that was in this encyclopedia and that was kind of like our first foray i guess into internet porn <laughs> probably I mean, that's thanks mr winnaker <laughs> i mean i remember i remember stony creek had when they got the one computer in the library they had prodigy net and it was like just your basic DOS blue screen with text. And it was, it was like, it was so basic, but you had to like sign up to use it. And it was like, oh, I can go on Prodigy and get information about like, you know, George Washington. Wow. See, I, I didn't have much internet experience. I think like maybe till like seventh, eighth grade. I remember that's when it really became such a thing. But prior to that, I was pretty like ignorant to any of that stuff. Yeah, no. I think my internet, we have like sixth grade, my parents got a computer and we had internet and it was like dial up and it was just basic, like you could only research like like information. There was no web browsing. There was, I mean, there was nothing. And it was like, this is basically, instead of going to the library to look up something, you could you could sit there and type something in and, and in two to three minutes, you'd have a, a page with basic font and it would be, this is what you asked for and this is what the result is. It was wow. so basic. Blows my mind to think where, when my nephews are in middle school and high school, where technology is going to be because it just, it it's crazy. I mean, yeah. now, growing up, teachers said, "Oh, you're never going to have a calculator or an encyclopedia in your pocket." I kind of did it out. Yeah, were, were you into um, were you into graphing calculators in school? Oh, the TI eighty three. That was the shit. Because you could like you could also cheat on exams and put like formulas and notes in there. Yes. Then you had the games. What was that one game that for the calculator? Snake. There was snake, and there was something else that was like that. If you had that game, the zeros where you had to like get your cursor like around the zeros yeah. and not hit the <laughs> not hit like the parentheses. Yes, 
Now your friends were really, really good at programming. And, and I remember it was like a thing where you had to get someone that knew how to do it. Like you had to have yeah. a guy, you had to have a TI 83 guy. I feel like maybe like Godi would have been my, my go-to guy. It was actually Dave Majumdar. Oh, that he was the, he was the TI 83 guru if memory serves correct. And okay. uh, so he would put all those on, on our, if you were fortunate enough, cause those things were like super expensive back in the day. And it was like, that was like your Christmas present. Like, do not lose this calculator. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, that was, that was, if you had that, man, that or the, the Sega uh, game, the game genie. Game gear. Game gear. Where it had a little itty bitty color screen. That, that was like, oof. if you had one of those, man, you, that was, you made it middle school. With Sonic. Yeah. I remember Sonic was the game. The, that was the thing that I think like, I feel like Mike Mayall got it and I would get to play on his, but like, I never got to really take big advancements in video games. It was always like going to a friend's house to do it. I think I got the, I did Nintendo and I did Sega. And then after that, when I realized they were like, oh yeah, we're not making Sega games. And now you have to get the super Nintendo. I was like, you have to keep doing this, like getting a new system every couple of years. And I was out on that. Yeah. No, I had an older brother and he was big and we had a Nintendo but he like like guarded it with his life, so I never really got into gaming with that because I had just I was my older brother just never let us play on the Nintendo. And then when we were in high school, we would just hang out in Rishi's basement and just play Mario Kart because it was a four it was it was a four player game, which was like, that was like just blew your mind, you know. And that was that that and like you know like some some Coca Cola and like some snacks and that was like a Friday night. It was like such a simple time. So that's funny. That's kind of like how I I've talked about my social life when I would hang out with like Scott on a Friday night, watching the Sixers, eating wings, drinking soda, or like our big sleepovers would be like a wrestling pay-per-view or um, playing golden eye or yeah. And you play until like 11 o'clock the next morning, just eating pizza and oodles and noodles. So it sounds like, so I don't know, were you, um, did you, but you, I felt like you had like a much more expansive group of friends or a, more of a mix of friends. Like when I looked at your yearbook prior to, prior to connecting with you and like, you've got girls in your yearbook and guys, whereas mine was just like a, a group of dudes. You know? I mean, I, I think it's, it was probably more of, of my personality is, is, I mean, I'm more of a social butterfly and I, I kind of get along with everybody. I think that's why I, I got into the restaurant business and I'm still in the restaurant business is I like people and I connect with, with anybody. And within five minutes of meeting someone, I can get their entire life story just because of my personality. And, and, and it's, it's like, I tell everybody that, you know, I don't manage people. I manage personality. And in, in my experience, I've always just been able to just adapt and change and, and you know, just, I just can connect with people at a level that, you know, some people just can't do it. And it's just, just my personality and and my adaptability to just kind of get along with everybody. I mean, if I don't like you, I'm not, I'm not going to waste my time and your time and talk to you. But if I have an interest and and I want to connect then yeah, I mean, I'll I'll have a a, a five minute discussion and we can figure it out. And after that, Hey, if if it's going to work great, if not, then I'll just move on to the next. It's not the end of my world. Did you, did you find yourself like in those situations in high school or middle school or early, I guess, high school, but like kind of how you've described where you're like being a social butterfly and maybe you find yourself um, in an attempt to connect with someone. And then maybe those five minutes go by and it just kind of fizzles and you just go, oh, what was that? That didn't work. We're not going to be, this is not going to work between us. And you just kind of move on. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like, 
I, I would talk to somebody and I, I just know that, hey, you know, we're not going to connect. There, there's, there's not much there. And you know, I'll be cordial and I'll be polite, but I'm not going to openly seek you out to, to have a friendship or have a connection or have anything. You know, I, like I said, I'll be professional, I'll be cordial, but if, if, if it's not, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. I'm not going to try to force it to work. I'm not going to try to make it to work. And because if you try to force it and you try to just make it work, then why? You know, why bother? You know, maybe like I, I, when I when I think about me, I wonder if like, was it insecurity? I think uh, I think a lot of like what I talk about with people on the show and like kind of what helps spark this show is um, when I think back to like having conflicts with people, I think now I've learned that I probably took it too hard or took it too seriously and other people never thought about it again. Whereas if I had a five minute interaction trying to see like where we're at with where I'm at with this person and it didn't go well. That's how I think of that person tomorrow, the next day, the day after that. See, I, I can I can brush things off. And if I have a conflict or, or just a, a disagreement, um, I, I just I, I don't hold on to it. I just let it go because I, I can't harp on, hey, we didn't connect or I, I disagree with you or I didn't like your, your viewpoint. It's like, OK, that, that's your opinion and you're allowed to have it. And I'm I'm fine with it. Um, you know, I just. I don't like conflict in my life and I, I try to avoid conflict at all costs. Um, just because I just, for me, it's just, it's just, I just don't like it. Yeah. And I'm not the kind of person that's going to hold a grudge. And we may have had a disagreement in high school or, or, or even a day ago. And it's like, I'll be the angriest person for five minutes and then I'm over it. Move on to the next thing because there's no point in harping on it. And you know, it's just, Hey, we just disagree or we, we didn't see eye to eye. And it's just, it's not, it's not worth overthinking and dwelling upon because then it consumes you. And I just, I just, I can't have that. I just, I can't like, why didn't they like me? Like, did I say something? Did I do something? You know, did I, did I not wear something that I smelled? Did, like what, what did I do wrong? It's, yeah, they just, they didn't like me. You know, I, I know my personality. I, I know that, you know, this is Texas, which is completely different from where we grew up, you know, which is where we grew up. You know, you can be very direct and you can be very blunt. You can be rather, rather crass and you can be just like, Hey, you like, you know, in Texas, you can't do that. Yeah, and sometimes I have to take a step back and look at that and be like, okay, I have to look at it from this viewpoint, you know, more of a of a softer side. So I just, I, I never, I never hold on to grudges or bad feelings. And if someone doesn't like me, and they can in my face, hey, I don't like you. Cool, that's your opinion. You know, okay, I'll see you later. You know. Did you have? Do you think it's easy to say that? But you know, and I wish I could say that. And I think that if I was to, you know look at like my issues. I think I, I always took, took the bait. Did you, did you ever like, was it ever out of your control to do that? Like, were you, were you bullied or did you have people that were just like needling you no, to I mean, where? I, I think that growing up, I was lucky where I was never really bullied per se, but when I was younger, I would take things a little bit more personally. And then kind of like, you know, why didn't this person like me? And I was kind of like, well, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. If they don't like it, I'm not going to try to change for that person. But like I said, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate in that I never really experienced any bullying. I mean, there were, there were times where people would be mean and just, you know, be kids, you know, when, especially when you're like elementary school and middle school, when you're trying to find out your, who you are and, and the group of friends you're going to go with. But I mean, I, I was very fortunate. I really don't think there was any one person that openly bullied or, 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 you know, maliciously, you know, seeked me out to try to be like, okay, I'm going to make this guy's life miserable. Um, you know, I, I really can't think of, of any one person or, or one, one 
time when I was actively bullied aside from just the basic, you know, people just being kids and just kind of giving you a hard time and, and uh, establishing what, what clique you're going to run with or, or what, what group of people you're going to be with. So I think that was kind of the nice thing about, about growing up where we grew up is, at least for me anyway, as I really never, never really felt bullied or, or, or pressured or, or just kind of like pushed in one direction. If you had a disagreement, you had it, and that was kind of okay. Well, I'm, I'm just not going to talk to that person. I'm going to just do my own thing over here. And if we happen to interact, we'll interact. And, you know, that's what it is. And there's something I'm interested in because, because you did have a mixed group of friends. Um, what's the difference in hanging out with guys versus girls? Like hanging out with girls, even as a friend, is something that I always wanted to do in high school. It's probably why I have so many female friends now. But what's the difference between like, you know, having like, did you have like a Friday night hanging out with like girls versus not being with like Rishi and Gody? No, I mean, there was always like, I mean, Ellen Opplinger was always kind of in our group and it was kind of a nice mix. But I mean, I, it was more like I would hang out with, with, with females at school and then outside of school, it was always just the guys. Oh, okay. You know, it was never like, I mean, in high school, you know, like we'd always have like, like Ellen or sometimes Jenny McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Would, would hang out um but it was never like open like okay it's friday night you know or or whatever night like in school it would be a nice mix but outside of school and on the weekends it was always just that same group of, of me Gody, rishi scott beck and that was kind of our little click what did you think about like you know when you look out at like what was going on in high school, I always felt like it was so advanced, almost like a TV show. And and so I would see people dating and all that. And that was kind of my hangout, hang up about not hanging out with girls and not having female friends then. Um, did you look out at the world and want to be dating or did you re- like, did you recognize, like when I hear, you know, sitting with your, with your guy friends in the basement, I think of, I think of like that scene in Superbad with McLovin and Seth and all those guys and like, you know, and that's and that's kind of like how I picture, you know, like the nerdy kids or like the kids that just aren't the cool kids. And I include myself, you know, in that of just like, well, I just had like my group of like a few guys and we just hung out. Did you were you aware of like that stereotype or that perception outward? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that perception is is I mean, you can you can pick a you could pick a, 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 a period of time or a genre. And you know, we—I I knew for a fact. Hey, I was the the the, the nerdy kid, the, the not the not cool kid, the not cool click. But I was fine with it. It didn't bother me because I still had a great group of friends, and we hung out, and we had fun, and we didn't need to be popular. We didn't need to be on stage in the you know in the spotlight. That's not something I, I ever wanted. I didn't want to be that. Okay, what's what's this person doing, or what are they wearing, or, or you know what what. what you know, just what, what, what did they do over the weekend? Where did they go? Who did they, I just, I just, for me, I just never wanted that. I just don't like the spotlight. You know, I'm, I'm a rather simple, simple individual. And I just, I like a nice mellow. And I, I was content with just being, Hey, like that's, that's the, the, the nerdy group. That's the, the academics, you know, they're, they're probably sitting in their basement playing dungeons and dragons and magic cards. And you are, <laughs> you know, not yet. It's what it is. <laughs> It's funny. It's totally come around. Didn't play Dungeons and Dragons, but definitely dabbled in those magic cards. Looking back was absolutely fucking stupid. Oh yeah. Magic was huge. Did you do the, uh, the vampire game? Wasn't there like a vamp? Okay. There was, I remember that. And I absolutely was like that. That was, that was too extreme. That was, that was a lifestyle choice. That was not a game. 
<laughs> I was, okay, I got to do this 100% or I'm just going to, I can't dabble in this. So absolutely not. I'm going to draw a line somewhere as to how nerdy you can get, how, how far away you want to get from everybody else. I love how you gave Dungeon and Dungeons and Dragons just a little room to breathe. Like, no, I didn't play that. Like, did you do vamp? No, no, <laughs> no, I, I had, to, I, I couldn't. I just, like I said, that was a lifestyle choice and I was not about to make that commitment. <laughs> um, while you're in school, you know, did you have any favorite teachers, favorite classes? Oh God. You know, I remember um, one of my favorite teachers was Mr. Klein for anatomy and physiology. Yep. Um, I, I just, I thought he was a great teacher. Um, I thought he really did a good job of connecting with his students. Um, I mean, he would, I remember one time he made um, bison burgers. He brought a grill in and, and, cooked up bison burgers outside and served us bison. I'd never had bison. Um, so I thought he was a really great teacher. I also liked um, Mr. Gottlieb, chemistry. Um, that man was so overqualified. I mean, I just, I just it, looking back when I was, when I was in college, I'm like, man, this guy's a high school teacher. He went to Johns Hopkins and like, he's just, he was just so just, I, I thought he did a very good job of, of teaching probably one of the, as far as as a high school student, as far as one of the most unpopular and boring areas of study, chemistry. But I just remember learning a lot from him and, and really getting a, a love of science from him. And when I was in college, I mean, I have a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry and I, I harp that back to Mr. Gottlieb because for some reason, I just thought he really taught it well and, and connected and and just gave me a love of, of, you know, of just chemistry and just and all of that. Um, but those are probably two of the teachers I really thought were just really just from what I had was really good. Um, and then there was also Mr. Hood, the, the, the band teacher, an orchestra teacher. Um, I thought he connected with his students. He was kind of like the, uh, the Mr. Holland's opus before Mr. Holland's opus was like, like kind of a thing. Um, he was kind of the cool musician, beatnik. Like if you were kind of in the band and, and the orchestra, I mean, you obviously were already ostracized because you're in the band and the orchestra. So you're already in that demographic of being the nerdy people, but he was like the cool teacher. So I thought he was also a, re a really good, a really good teacher and somebody you could connect with. And um, I really enjoyed um, the four years that I was in, in, in the orchestra, just under his tutelage, you know, just thought he was a, a really good teacher. Yeah, actually, he was the first. He's the only teacher I've I've been able to get a hold of to do an episode with, and I had a great time talking with him for a few hours. And you know, I never knew his history as far as being an actual like a professional touring musician prior yeah. to prior to during and currently. Um, you know, while as a band instructor, did that ever? He he always wanted to be able to show students that you can do more with music than just play in band. Um, you did band for four years. Did you ever, were you like ever inclined to try to keep playing or do more with band? I, I did. And um, I, I played the cello. So um, outside of, outside of high school, when I was in college, I was actually in the Ambler Symphony. Um, my, I actually had a private cello teacher who got me into it. And I played pretty much, I think for about three years when I was in college. And then it just, college got to be too much as far as my studies. I just couldn't, I couldn't commit to that time because, you know, we, we actually, we actually rehearsed at Shady Grove elementary school. That's and right. I, it just, yeah. And, and college just got, it got to be too much and, and just, you know, keeping up with my studies and, and making sure I kept my grades up. I just, I just couldn't fit. And it, it killed me that I had to stop. 
Um, cause it was something I enjoyed and it was a nice little outlet to kind of, you know, kind of get away from the world and, you know, get lost in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was something that I, that I thought of kind of doing, but with, with my studies, it just, it was just, you know, which, which one do I do? And it was just make more sense to just kind of focus on college and making sure I kept my grades up and did well in college. And I had to let something go. And unfortunately it was that. Did you have any other um, extracurricular interest or anything else going on in school outside of, outside of band? Like you were into science, but. Not, not really. I mean, I was not really into, I wasn't really into sports growing up. And I mean, you know, I, I played tennis, but it was, it was not, not for the school or anything. It was more like just because it was something to do on the weekends and, and growing up, um, our parents on Saturdays made us do like activities. Like we couldn't like sleep in on Saturday. We were at the YMCA doing like karate, tennis lessons, swimming. So, I mean, outside of school, I would play tennis, um, and, and do like karate, but it was nothing like crazy. And it was more like, I was kind of coerced to do it because my parents are like, no, you're not going to be a bum and sleep in on Saturday till 10 o'clock. You know, you have to get up, like get motivated. So. Yeah. But you know, you mentioned that you, you had mentioned in the beginning a bunch of jobs that you had done. Um, so it sounds like you kept busy as a teenager. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I remember in middle school, uh, I wanted a cell phone and my parents were like, Hey, we'll buy you a cell phone, but you have to pay the bill. And I was like, okay, so how do I pay a bill? my parents like we have to get a job so i think it was like seventh or eighth grade i got a job as a bus boy at plymouth country club um, which is now the 1912 club and you know i worked you know friday and saturday nights as this little itty bitty kid just bussing tables you know and i'd make like i'd walk out of there with like you know 50 bucks in cash i think i was like you know super rich I'm like, oh, I, can, I, can, I can go to the mall and i can go to like hot topic and buy stupid stuff and go to chick-fil-a and and you know we're walk fries and so, you know, it's just kind of those, it's kind of one of those things. My parents are like, Hey, we'll give you these things, but you have to work at it. You have to, you have to, you have to keep it going. We're not just going to give it to you to give it to you. You have to, we'll give it to you, but you have to supplement it in some way, shape or form. Right. There's more, there's more responsibility to it than just getting the, getting, getting the service. And and, yeah. Yeah. And it's like when you, it's like, Oh yeah, I'll help you get the car, but you've got to pay the insurance. You've got to pay the gas and, Oh yeah. No, my, my parents gave me a car at 16, but I had to pay the insurance, pay the gas and, you know, pay for the oil changes. And if I made, if I messed it up, I had to at least some, contribute somehow for the repair. So. So you mentioned like busing and you mentioned brouhaha. It sounds like you've, and, and you're in the restaurant business now. So have you always worked in service? Yes. I've always been in the restaurant business. Um, since I was like 14, 15 years old, I've always been in restaurants and, it's what I know. It's what I love. And right now I'm actually in, in a fine dining restaurant, um, which is a, a complete change from what I came from. I always did like kind of casual upscale dining. And now that I'm in fine dining, it, it's, it's a completely different game. I mean, it's not like you're coming out and you know, you're going to spend just for yourself, maybe 35, 50 bucks. No, you're going to spend 150 to 200 bucks per person. And all of a sudden now I've got a, a table, a two top, that's a $1,500 table. Uh, it's, it's happened. I've, seen it. I've, I've had, I've had tables where, you know, it's, it's a $5,000 check and it's like, I'm sitting there as a manager. I'm, I'm, I'm a beverage manager. So, um, you know, I deal with, with, with the, the bar end of it and the liquor, beer and wine end of it. And I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I, I have Louis, Louis Trey. It's, it's, you know, an ounce of Louis, an ounce of Louis Trey is 160 bucks. What is that? Cognac. 
Uh, it's Louis the Thirteenth. It's uh, oh. it's cognac, and you know I have wines on my menu that yeah yeah I'll get you a bottle of Opus One. That's four hundred eighty dollars a bottle. Wow. Yeah. What I kind mean, of uh, entrees come with with these? Um, so I work for Trulux, and it's a, a seafood crab house and steakhouse. Um, we're mostly known for seafood, um, and what's kind of neat is 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 we're known for Florida stone crab. Uh, we actually own our own fishery in uh, Naples, Florida. So from May 15th to October 15th, we get all of our stone crab from our own fishery in Florida. Outside of that, we get our, our stone crab from the Yucatan, Pacific Northwest, um, kind of where it's available. But we're all about, um, you know, fresh, great quality seafood, sustainable seafood. All of our fish are sustainably fished. Um, you know, we don't do farm raised. It's just, it's, it's a really great concept to work for. And we're about hospitality and service. Um, if you read reviews online, everybody says, True Lux is expensive, but worth it because our service is our service is so high. I'm actually doing my friend a favor, uh, I think, next weekend and speaking to his restaurant about service because True Lux is known all throughout Austin as man, if that the service is just on point every time, you will not have a bad experience at True Lux. For the first time in my career, I truly have found a restaurant where like I just, it, everything is, 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 is just works, especially coming back after this pandemic where I was actually kind of allowed to cherry pick who I brought back. I've got a great team of people that, that work with me and for me. And it's just, it's, it's, just, it's, it's great. I, I truly enjoy going to work every single day, even though last night was brutal and we got just absolutely destroyed because it was just so busy. Um, it was still fun. And I just, I, I just love the hospitality business. Did you um did you have like a passion? I know you said that you you like science and you caught on to science, um, but did you have like anything that you were passionate about in school? I did, and I wanted to go into medicine, and that's why I I, I went to Temple and did biology and chemistry. I was I was hell bent on going into medicine. That was from a little, from a little kid. I want to be a doctor. I want to go into medicine. I want to do this, and after college. I had kind of like like an epiphany and was like, no, I don't want to do this. I, I don't I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't I don't want to be this. I, I want to do something that is more me and more my personality. And and that's why I fell into the restaurant business. It was just something I was just passionate about and was like, you know what? I kind of enjoy this. Like this is something that I could see myself doing as a career. And I don't want to be going to medicine. And, and I just don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to do what what I'm passionate about, what I enjoy. And um, I remember, I want to say I was sometime in high school, maybe 11th or 12th grade, we had gone out to dinner to the Cheesecake Factory at Fresh Mall. And it was, you know, that, that Cheesecake Factory was always busy. And that was kind of like, that was like the spot, that was fancy where we grew up. You know, that was like, oh, we're going to Cheesecake Factory. That's like the tits. And I remember just sitting there and looking at how busy they were. And the, the manager was just working the host stand and court. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And that, I think, was the little seed that was planted, even though I was hell bent on, on becoming a doctor and going to medical school. And, and that's and when I finished college, I was like, no, I don't want to do I don't want to go into medicine anymore. I kind of want to I kind of want to stay in the hospitality business. And um, after that, it was just uh, just kind of one of those things. I actually was after college. I actually briefly worked at, at Spamps there in Conshohocken. Um and kind of was like a, a front of house manager slash server. That was my first real taste of management. And 
uh, was there for about a year and then moved to Texas and just got a job at a restaurant um, just because I needed a job. I was kind of looking at graduate schools. I applied to UTSA um, for their dental school and was kind of like, you know, let me just kind of be, just kind of figure it out. And one day my, I sat down with my GM and, and he was like, hey, you know, I want to make you a manager. Well, you know, I'm kind of thinking about going to graduate school. I kind of want to become a dentist, you know. He's like, well, he's like, you know, I want to make you a manager, but if you're going to go to graduate school, I can't make you a manager because of the of the time commitment. You, you, it's going to be 40, 50 hours a week of working, you, you know. I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, I was like 22, 23, you know, whatever. And I kind of was like, you know what? Why not? What's the worst that could happen? I put off graduate school for a year and let me try this. doesn't work out. So I said, you know what? Scott, I said, sure. I said, I'll, I'll, let me try this management thing. And that was 2007. And I've been in management ever since. That's interesting. You know, when, when you lay that scene out of, of your GM, you know, giving you these options, I instantly go to the scene in that movie Waiting. Yeah. Right, where the manager sits down, he tells Justin Long, like, oh, you're going to be the assistant manager. And he chooses to go to college instead. Yeah. So my question to you is, had you been presented that opportunity? You went to Temple? Yeah. Right on. So you would have, had you been presented that opportunity, say your senior year of high school, do you think you would have foregone college and your bachelor's? No. no. My, uh, my parents were adamant that their kids would go to college um, just because. And so I was, even if I was given the opportunity at my senior year of, of high school, I was like, no, I, 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 I wanted to go to college. I wanted, I wanted to experience that. I wanted to have that, you know, cause everybody pictures college as these great four years where it's like, you know, you get educated, you party, you, you lived like the best, you know, the best, one of the best years of your life for college. So I was hell bent and adamant that I was going to college. So if I was given that opportunity, my senior year, no, I would have turned it down. Why a doctor? Why did you grow up wanting to be a doctor? Both my parents are in medicine. So it was kind of like that thing where it was, you know, I saw what they did and, and you know, I just, I was just always adamant about it. I just wanted to be a doctor. I, I, it just was something is, even as a little kid, I was always like, Hey, I want to be a doctor. I want to go to medical school. I just thought it was cool. I thought it was really cool to help people and, and save lives and make their, make their lives better. Um, and just being a doctor in, in any facet. I remember when I was growing up, um, when I was a little, little kid, there was our next door neighbors. Um, he was actually in medical school and then became our family physician um, after he graduated. So I thought that was really cool. I watched this guy and he drove a Pontiac Fiero, which I thought was the coolest car ever. And he, he was in medical school and he became our, our family physician. So it was like, and then when I was working at Plymouth Country Club, he was also a member of the country club. So I watched this guy go from, from living in his mom and dad's house, struggling to medical school with this cool Pontiac Fiero to becoming our family physician. And now he's a member of this country club. So it was kind of like, yeah, like this seems like something I could definitely do and, and you know, and, and really wanted to be. Mm. And lo and behold, <laughs> that's not what happened. You're, you're not the fifth person to tell me that, Pat. Like, <laughs> and, and a lot of times, you know, I think Lizzie and Paige, um, Miller both were kind of like in that kind of scientific medical field. What was it about Temple? So my dad went to Temple for dental school. 
And there was just something about Temple that I just, I really liked the, the, the college. And I mean, the, I want to say the prestige of Temple. I mean, it's just, you know, it was, it's, it was a state college, but it was, it was a good college. And, you know, everything I heard about Temple, I mean, it was just, it was just a solid, they had a solid science program. And, you know, I just, just something attracted me to that school. And I just, maybe because my dad went there, and my dad also taught uh, dentistry at Temple. Um, so I also got a discount my first year. And then they moved to Texas and I lost a discount. I lost my dad's parking permit. I got to park in the teacher lot my first year of school, which is kind of cool. But um, it was just, I don't know. I just, I just liked the temple. I liked the, just, it just felt right. I mean, I applied to, I think I did like Penn State, University of Delaware, like Shippensburg, Temple. I mean, I did like all like your, your, your quintessential colleges that we applied to. Right. But when I got accepted to Temple, I'll never forget. My mom actually brought the envelope. I was working at Bruhaha. My mom brought the envelope to to Bruhaha. It was the old adage of it was a real skinny envelope, which is your rejection letter, but it was a real thick envelope. You know, oh, you got in. And she made me open it like right there at the register. I had to read it out loud. It was super embarrassing. So I'm like, this could either make or break me as a person. And it said, you know, dear Patrick, congratulations. I'm like, FNA, I got accepted. And that was my, my first choice. And and I had a great time at Temple. It was a great school. I, you know, made a lot of good friends I still kind of keep in contact with on Facebook. And but I just had this is I had a lot of fun at Temple. I uh, I transferred in in 2000. Three, maybe maybe spring of 2004 actually okay. i transferred in it and after getting my associates at monco and did two years in the film program uh at annenberg at okay. temple and i live I, I exact same like i i always wanted to go to temple my dad went did some years there so i think that was kind of built in um i think you know prior to all the cosby news cosby went there and cosby yeah, was but- as, as big as you could get in philadelphia yeah i mean even with the Cosby show, there was always a temple reference or a temple shirt. So there was that, there was that prestige of, you know, Westchester didn't have that. There was no, like I, Westchester was a school, but like, I didn't know anyone from Westchester that like anyone pointed to in, in anything. I think Westchester was known more for like just being a party school. Like that's where you, like if you wanted a good party, you went to Westchester. Okay. I think that was the appeal of Westchester. I feel like all those state schools were like that, but I like, and maybe it's only after I was at Temple and then you see and hear about like Westchester, but like Bloomsburg, Shippensburg, Kutztown, all those schools. I used to hear the same stuff about like just party central. I mean, I and- think it's all, it's all what you make it. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, going to school in Philadelphia, you have so many colleges there and, you know, like with uh, the, the, the circle of friends, like Scott Beck went to Drexel, so I went to parties at Drexel, Rishi went to UPenn, so I went to parties at UPenn. I drove out to Shippensburg, you know, to go to parties. It, it, it's all what you make it. You know what I think is different though, is that the parties at Temple are just taking, for in my experience, we're just taking place in Philly. Philly was our oyster to have fun. It didn't have to be on campus. Yeah, no, you know, absolutely. We, you know, your, your buddy lives, I lived in Port Richmond my senior year in a, you know, in a house with my buddy. And so like everyone would just come to the house to party. It wasn't, it, it wasn't so much that you're kind of in a college town. It's like, no, yeah, we're going to go sure. get cheesesteaks and then we're going to go back to the house and we got beer from the distributor and we're just kind of walking and we were just in class two hours ago. You know, like it, there's just so much versatility that I I know I fell in love with when I first stepped foot on the campus. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it too was the, the, the easy access of public transportation. I mean, you get on the Orange Line, go down to, to you know, uh, Market East, get on the L, go to West Philly, or, you know, you could take the light rail, go back out to the suburbs. And that was what I liked about Philly was, I mean, I had a real, real crappy apartment with Ryan Dunn in Roxborough. Uh, it was on Henry Avenue, right where, where Ridge Pike divides into Ridge Avenue and then Henry Avenue, which is like their Summit Park apartment. It was just a real shitty apartment, but we had some epic parties and epic good times. And you said you Summit know, Park, yeah, Mug Night. But you do I Mug mean, Night there? I actually got eighty six for Mug Night. I had this great forty ounce Buds McKenzie beer mug, and you go in and I had this big forty ounce beer mug, and because they had a bar on in the complex, and the way that Pennsylvania wrote the liquor laws, it was a private club. So you could, and they had a bus that would ship you down to Maniunk. So at 2 a.m. you could come back and just go to the clubhouse bar and drink the passed out. But yeah, mug night. That was epic. I did one mug night there. It's funny. I was just telling someone this story uh, yesterday. Tara Cooper Smith used to live in Summit Park. Actually, she lived there when Ryan and I, I believe, lived there. Or shortly, I think it was like right before I moved to Texas for the first time. Right as I was graduating college, she had just moved in. And I think we had briefly connected on Facebook, but never really met up because I was more, hey, I'm moving to Texas, like, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a it's a cool place. It's it's kind of like a legendary party area. My cousin, um, my cousin lived there like 30 years ago when he was, you know, in his 20s. And that was like a that was what I'd always heard about the party. So it makes sense when you say like this kind of like this shitty like small apartment in rocks because it, that yeah. thing was like 45 years old. <laughs> it was, it was, I'll tell you what, for what it was, it was a, it was a good time and it served a purpose and you know, it was a good, it was a great experience. I mean, Ryan and I had a lot of fun, you know, when we, when I was up in Pennsylvania, we, we, we joked and reminisced about all the stupid stuff we did and how the one time we had a, like a Saturday afternoon party and we were takeout. We made the delivery driver have beers with us. We weren't going to pay him until he had beers and shots with us. So we made this pizza delivery guy sit on our couch, drink beer, have shots like three o'clock in the afternoon. He had like his boss is calling him like, hey, like, where are you? <laughs> He's sitting there just throwing him back with us. That's just stupid stuff like that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's good times. Stuff we can't get away with in our 30s. <laughs> it just hurts more. The recovery time is much longer. You know, I can't 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 drink and party like when I was in my 20s. The the hangover is like two or three days of just Okay, I'm nurse this one. We talked about like academic and that's probably just like more of a synonym for like the nerdy crowd or the, the nerd crowd or whatever. But were you academic? Were you, and, and I imagine you're going to school wanting to become a doctor in the future and your, your sweet spot is science. So were you all around really good in school? High school, yeah. I mean, I was always on the, the honor roll and, and you know, just, almost just for me getting a bad grade was like it just it always hurt it just for it was like a personal thing where if i got like a b i was upset with myself and i was disappointed in myself for not doing well because i knew i could do better so for me it was always like i want to be i want to get that i want to be that guy that has the, the, the straight a's and is, is just and for me it was a point of pride to have to have good grades and be studious and it was a, it was a point of pride to be you know in those those, those honor classes and, and it did just i, I Maybe it's kind of selfish, but I just always wanted to, to be better and, and, and do better. I never wanted to be kind of settle on mediocrity and just kind of be 
okay, I got a C, I passed, I did it, I can move on. It's like, no, I got a B, but I know I should have gotten an A. I was just lazy and just didn't study hard enough or didn't turn in this assignment on time um, or just, you know, just got, just got lazy. It's very self-aware. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I always like to do things, you know, to completion. I never want to leave anything open-ended or, or do it half-assed or just kind of do enough to get by. I always want to kind of just do more than I need to so I can show you that I actually care and have passion about it, you know, and, and really want to put my stamp on his man. Like he rocked that out. Like, damn, that was a great presentation or like he, I mean, he got, you know, that's just my personality. I just, you know, it's just me. Did you, um, and, and maybe not, sounds like from your answer, it was just much more internal, but did you, did you kind of compare yourself with your friends who were also like just rock star students in school? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was always, a, for, for me, it was a point of pride to have run with a group of people who were also very studious and very academic and always kind of at the top of the class. It was, it was, it was more important for me to be at the top of the class than to be like the star lacrosse player or the star soccer player. And that, it just it what that to me being like the star athlete wasn't important. It was more being the star student, not being like a teacher's pet or like a kiss ass, but just getting the good grades and knowing, hey, like that guy's he's smart. Like if I'm gonna cheat, I'm gonna cheat off him. That's so funny. You know, the way you talked about and and it, you know, I almost felt like you doubled down by saying it that way that you didn't want to be the star lacrosse player because when you first talked about it, you know, wanting to be in those classes and taking pride in it. The way you describe it almost sounded like like you looked at um, intelligence or or just doing well in school as as like a status, like a, the way that people would say, well, like you said, you know, you didn't want to be the star athlete. You know, we talk about like, oh, he was the quarterback or he played, you know, he was the, on yeah. the varsity team. Did you look at like grades or academics as like a a, a cool kid status, but in the academic world? Yeah, absolutely. I did. For, for me, it was always it was, it was a point of pride that. I didn't care about, you know, being the quarterback or being that star. It was more, hey, I got an A. I, I, I just aced this chemistry test or I just aced this 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 math test or, you know, like Mrs. McDonough, the biology teacher, she was awful. She was just not a good teacher. So when I would get like an A or a high grade on one of her tests, it was a point of pride because she just wasn't a good teacher. You know, I just didn't, I just didn't care for her style of teaching. So for me, it was just always a point of pride to know that I worked hard enough to get this and I studied and I worked at it. And hey, I proved to myself that, hey, I got this, even though I didn't not necessarily have all the tools to be successful, but I still was successful because I worked very hard to get there. I always had a problem with studying and I didn't really, I was horrible with like note memorization of just like writing down the outline. What was your method of doing better or, or studying or preparing? So, so, so my method was I, I took very diligent notes. And then when I would study, um, I couldn't study in silence. I had to study with background noise on. So, and it couldn't be like music or anything. It had to be like talking. So when I would study, I would put on like CNN or one of the news channels on a real low volume just to have the background noise. And then I could study fine. But if I studied in silence or I, I couldn't lock myself in the library or lock myself in my bedroom, I had to have some kind of background chit chat of just whatever that it would just it would just kind of phase out all the other background distractions and I can better focus on on studying and being diligent um and that was it, it always kind of weirded when I live with Ryan I, I would like post up in the living room on the floor and I'd be all spread out with notes and textbooks but I have my back facing the tv 
and I'd be like laying on the floor just studying. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just studying, man. Just let me go. And that, that was that was the method that worked the best for me. Um, and that's just, just how I did it. And I just had to, I had to force myself to a lot time for it because if, if, if I didn't, I would feel really guilty the next day as man, I should, I should have taken that two hours where I was, you know, downloading stuff on Napster or getting lost or, or why, man, I should have, I should have spent that time studying because now I'm behind the eight ball and I'm not going to, I'm not going to do as well as I know I can do. So I would kind of beat myself up if I didn't allot myself time to study and be diligent with it. Thanks for setting up the next segue for me. What were you downloading on Napster? Okay, so, and I blame Rishi Patel for this, is he got me into elect, uh, EDM. And he got me into these essential selections where it was hosted by Paul Oakenfold. And these were huge files. It was like an hour and a half long music. And, you know, of course it was dial-up. Yeah, I was going to say, and is this still on your, like, your dial-up mode? And, and my senior year, my mom and dad got me in my own phone line in my bedroom. So I could just download music. And I would just, and I, and these things would take hours to download, but it'd be like an hour and a half, two hours of just electronic dance music. And it was, that was my thing. And yeah, that was just, I just, I love that stuff. And just having all those, just, I don't know. I just really like electronic dance music. It's my thing. Um, you know, and of course there was, you know, obviously internet porn at the time. Pictures. You can't, you can't not say that. I mean. <laughs> what, uh, that's interesting because I, you know, I, I guess I equate EDM with, one, I don't think EM was like so big at like it is now where you have like these, you know, celebrity producers or, or celebrity DJs and um, and with the Internet now, especially music becomes so much more popular and worldly. Where are you going to or are you able to go anywhere like as at that age? Because I, I think like are there clubs or like are you going to shampoo? No, there, okay, or? So there was at the time uh, EDM was not that big in the US. It was more of like Europe and elsewhere. But. Every now and then, I remember one time I went with Rishi and his family down to Washington, D.C., and we went and saw Paul Van Dyke at this club on Half and K Street. And it was like it was it was in like a really bad neighborhood. It was like my first time going to a show or it was just, you know, dance music. And it was like it was packed and it was, it was, we just had a blast. And we just were there just for like, you know, four hours, just just hanging out, dancing and just interacting and just dripping in sweat and we were like 18 at the time. So it's like, you know, we couldn't drink, you know, we didn't, we didn't do any drugs. We just enjoyed the experience. And as I got older, you know, it, and EDM became more popular. There were more venues, there were more clubs and you go to anywhere in Philly, you know, down to Miami and just kind of, you know, just kind of party and hang out. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I feel like we grew up in like the perfect era or maybe the end of the perfect era where you could go out to places, at least in Philly. Um, and, and my big gripe now is that nowadays, although nothing's open now, but like nowadays up until, you know, two, with two, three years ago, there were no like live venues. They've all really dried out um, so much. I think it's, it's kind of the market you're in. I mean, I live in Austin and Austin is unofficially the live music capital of the world. So before all of all this pandemic, you know, any given night of the week, you could go downtown and you could catch a show. I mean, pick a genre of music and it, it was there. Mm. Um, you know, in, in, in this being Texas, you know, we really don't have winners. I mean, it's the middle of January. I'm sitting outside wearing shorts. And, you know, it's just it's just you could you could find venues where you can go where it's nice and open and and just hang out. I mean, when I first moved to Austin, 
you could go downtown on a Friday night, and if you wanted to get blues, country, jazz, rock, punk, there was a there was a bar or a venue downtown that had that, um, and you could just show up and hey, it was a show. Mm. Yeah, I had a cousin that that lived down there for a few years, and uh, I spent I was driving cross country and spent uh, like three days in Austin. Uh, so he took me to Sixth Street and uh, did the whole rooftop thing, and and uh, I definitely didn't get my fill because um, I it was definitely like the tourist, you know, the the tourist yeah. uh, trip. Um, but I've heard great things just about you know outside of the South by Southwest. It's the little it's the little pockets that are just really awesome there. Which is yeah, it's it's a nice thing about Austin. It's very diverse, and there's a little bit of everybody. It's a, it's definitely a city of transplants. It's not what you think of when you think of Texas. I mean, there's, I mean, everybody. No, nobody really is from Austin. They're all I moved here from here. I moved here, so it, it, it's a very diverse city. It's it's a very diverse culture, and you get a nice mix of of people. You know, you do still have your your old school. I, I was born and raised in Austin, and you know they're going to sit there and say the city's not what it is. It's changing. You know, the skyline of Austin in the last 10 years has changed dramatically. There's, I mean, this, this is the place to live. I mean, everybody wants to live in central Texas because cost of living is low. There's no state income tax. It kind of is affordable, although it's not becoming affordable anymore. But, you know, we get a lot of transplants from California, the East Coast, um, just because the, it's just the culture, the climate, it, it just everything about it is just, you know, it, it's where people want to live. And it's yeah. a fun city. Yeah, you hear about now everyone's like a lot of celebrities are are moving down there. I think Joe Rogan just set up shop down there, and uh, yeah, some comedians that I follow. Uh, that Tesla's that, coming to Austin. So oh, really, that's gonna yeah. be huge. That was a he's. I think he's building his factory out by the airport for his new Tesla truck. I think I read, and he bought a property here in Austin. Um, so that's it's good for the city. I mean, you know, that's huge. Yeah. Live here. So. Do you um, now have you connected? So you're maybe like the fifth person that I can think of with Austin roots being Yuka grew up and then eventually came back for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I bounced around quite a bit. Um, so after college, I moved to Austin and then I lived in San Antonio for about three or four years. And then I moved back to the East Coast. I moved to Jersey, lived in Edison, and I was up there for about three or four years. And then I moved back to San Antonio. Um, I was there for about three or four years. And then about two and a half years ago, I moved back up to Austin. Okay. I was going to say, I think Kerry McCormick lives there uh, now. And I think, I uh, know Paige Miller lives there um, in Austin. So, yeah. and uh, Javier Marquis used to live there. He did hotels uh, in Austin there. Interesting. Yeah. Small so world. Yeah. Nice little, nice little crew there in Austin, Texas. Yeah. So it's, it's, I love it. I mean, I, I'm very happy here. Um, you know, just, I love it. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you date at all in school? No, I actually, I actually enjoy being single. Um, and I just, I, I like to just be able to come and go as I please. Um, I just, I have no interest in, in dating and or ever, even getting married. I mean, I live with, with Tom and my sister-in-law, Simone and our two nephews, but yes, I have a wife, a husband and kids but I can, I can easily give the kids back and get my car and go somewhere else or go away for the weekend and not have to worry. So I will be the quintessential eternal bachelor for the rest of my life. And I'm cool with that. I, I I'm very happy with that. Did you, uh, did you think that you were, you know, 
I think I, I fell into, obviously everything I, I get is from like pop culture and TV. So obviously I bought into the whole, you got to get married, have kids thing. And I haven't gotten there either. I'm not even close. Um, but I think I, I definitely like felt pressure that, you know, back in my mind, this has to happen. Um, did you growing up, did you already have that opinion that you wanted to be the bachelor or was it just not even in your, no, I think, I think growing up, I mean, just because of, of popular culture and, and, you know, you know, Hey, you, you eventually have to get married. You eventually have to have kids and, you know, you have to, you, you, you know, I think that's kind of ingrained just because of popular culture and, and maybe societal views of, you know, you, you, you finish high school, you either get a job or go to college when you go to college, you get out of college, you get a job, you get married, you get a, a husband or wife, you get, you know, I just, I just, it never was, was a priority. And I was never in a rush. I mean, my last girlfriend, she had three kids. She was older. She was like 13 years older than me. And, you know, I was just like, you know what? It's like, I kind of rather enjoy being single, you know, I just, I, mean, I liked her kids and we got along and, and we were great. And we dated for like three years. And then I was just like, one day I was like, you know, I just, I kind of enjoy being single. I can come and go as I please and I don't have to worry about, you know, I just worry about myself. Maybe that's me being selfish, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I just. No, I'm, I'm in that same say boat. I'm selfish. It's all about me. I'm in that same boat and that's definitely, um, we'll call, I'll call it a fault only because I think I'm trying to be in a relationship. So those, that's the thing that usually pops up of like, I have these selfish qualities because I do spend the majority of my time single. So I live how I live. I do what I want to do. And it's, it's only when I'm trying to be in a relationship that I realize, Oh, I've got some selfish qualities and I'm an only child. So, you know, I, this has been me my entire life. I've never had to share anything. So, yeah, I have, I've, I've been sharing since conception because I'm a twin. So how about movies Do, like in high school? Were there any like uh, big movies that so you I were remember? Into? Okay. So I remember when the fast and the furious came out, it was me, Gody, Ryan Dunn, and Rishi went and saw it, and we left, and Gody was driving his purple Chrysler Cirrus, and he drove that thing like a bat out of hell, and everybody was like all amped up driving that, and then obviously the Matrix, when that came out, that was huge. Um, God, what else was there? I was always a fan of like, you know, like like the Back to the Future movies. I thought they were like really cool. Yeah. Um, anything with John Candy, I thought was great just because he was a good actor. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, pick a, pick a Chris Farley movie, you know, Tommy boy, black sheep, black sheep. I mean, they were all good. Um, I never got into the uh, Lord of the Rings. I've never seen the Lord of the Rings. I have no desire to, you know, so that's funny being that like, you know, you were in like this nerd lore in high school and this is like the ultimate nerd movie. I never got into, I have to this day, I have no desire to sit down and watch it. (laughs) My recommendation is don't do it. Yeah. I tried, I did it. And it's just one of those movies that just keeps going and going. It's one of those movies where like you follow a a plot for an hour 50 and then they go, well, now that we've done this, we've got to go back. We've got to go back out and and return the ring. And you go, that's a great idea for another movie, but they mean right now in this movie (laughs) and you just go, well, we're going to keep going another hour and do a whole nother plot. It's, it's too much for me. Yeah. But we, I never really got into like, I always say like, I don't like to read the books because it'll ruin the movie. I never got into like the, the book movie counterparts. The only book movie thing I actually got into, and this is the nerd me coming out is the Harry Potter, you know, books. 
Um, just because that that was a huge thing of, of you know we were obviously at, out of high school when that came. Or I guess maybe we were still in high school when that first. It was came about the same like, time as Lord of the Rings. It was about the same yeah, time. I, I, I read all the books and saw all the movies, and you know, um, huge fan of, of Emma Watson. Good choice. Way to stick with it. Um, but yeah, that was the only real like you know fantasy thing I got into is I the Harry Potter books. I thought they were kind of cool. Read them all. Yeah. Um, were you, you mentioned like, uh, you'd mentioned partying a little bit or like drinking. Were you, were you guys, and I, and I talked to Ryan, um, obviously the day after you guys had your, your gathering. Um, and he mentioned like maybe like some beers and stuff, but it was never anything too crazy. Was that same for your experience or? Yeah. I mean, we, we never, or at least me personally, I, I never really partied super hard or I mean, a couple beers, I mean, there's obviously in college, there's certain nights where you just, you know, you go out karaoke night and party hard and beer and shots. But, you know, I, I've always been more of a social drinker and just, you know, a couple cocktails here, you know, like I, I personally know my limit. Um, you know, I'll openly admit I am in the DUI club, not one most expensive that I had out. Um, learned my lesson. It was very, very expensive. I don't recommend them. Um, but, you know, we were more of just social drinkers. And just kind of that thing. I mean, we we had <laughs> so we went out one night to PJ Wilhams, and they used to have. I don't know if they still have them, but they had those beer towers. Yeah, mm-hmm. I stole one. I stole one from there. And um, we had it in our apartment. And when we had our parties, we would break it out. We named her Evelyn. Um, and then when I moved to Texas, I left it with Ryan, and then he was living with I think Ryan Opplinger, and he just recently told me when I was back up there in, in October of 19 that he had just recently got rid of Evelyn after all those years. You know, now that you're uh, you're in dining, it's interesting. I'd love to know, did you have, do you think back, when you think back to like lunches and stuff in school, did you have anything in the cafeteria that you loved from the school lunches? No, <laughs> there was nothing good. I'm sorry. I mean, there was nothing good. I mean, it was all... I mean, if, if you think, I mean, at least, I mean, now I know, you know, what good quality, food. it was all frozen stuff, prepackaged, processed. I mean, there's probably more, more chemical protein preservatives in that crap that I'm sure one day will, will cause cancer of the foot or something, you know, like it was gross. I mean, it, that school food was just, it was not good. Not even the pretzel with the cup of cheese for you. No, because the pretzel, okay, so you get the pretzel, it either be like, super soft or be rock hard and you had to eat it in like 30 seconds yes and that cheese was either it was it was not hot enough so it was like too like it it wasn't good (laughs) it was congealed i mean it was just like this wasn't good (laughs) like it it was it's almost like it was it was better to make sure you you brought a lunch from home let it sit in your locker for the for the four or five hours and you'd eat that ham and cheese sandwich that was like room temperature with your Capri Sun and whatever snack you had that you didn't enjoy, but it was still better than that like gray burger with the hard bun and just. <laughs> the burgers were no, I remember being obsessed with like, cause I loved fast food growing up. And like, I just remember like, once you realize like, oh my God, they have cheeseburgers and hamburgers and. Oh yeah, you're all excited. And then you get like, like, this is it. Yeah. I did like the like, chicken. I did like the chicken nuggets though. Oh, I forgot about the chicken nuggets, but they were, I mean, they were just your basic generic frozen chicken nugget. 
it tastes it tastes different with the way, when they made it. Maybe it's the convection oven that they used. It, it always tasted different. And the Texas Tommies, coincidentally. I don't remember you, those. The Texas Tommy was the hot dog wrapped in bacon with American cheese on the top in a roll. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, but look, looking back, I mean, when you're when you're that age and, and you know, you're just like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Now you look back, you're like, yeah, that's just processed cheese, bacon, probably some kind of a hot dog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that just the food was not good in high school. It's wild that they got Domino's like the Domino's was delivered every day. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> so wild. Yeah, but now looking back now, uh, working working in a fine dining restaurant where, you know, the food quality is has to be on par. It's like, man, the stuff we grew up on. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to eat that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still I'm still always trying to find when I think of different things, I always still try to find hacks of how to make it like I'm still trying to perfect the cafeteria, Texas, Tommy. I'm going to have to get one of the lunch ladies to show me the secret. I got to find one of the lunch ladies. Yeah, to just show me just randomly they... show up. Hey, teach me how to make a Texas Tommy. Oh my God. That'd be so good. Just go to the, go to the school, to the up. cafeteria. Yeah. Show me. Class of 01. I promise. I'm here for, I'm here for here to learn. I'm here, I'm here for continuing education. <laughs> yes, chef. Yeah. It's oh. <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, well, we've gone through, I feel like we've gone through like all of school and because we kind of, we kind of started backwards with already starting with the restaurant in Texas. Like, I feel like we've gone through like most of, of school. Yeah, I mean, what's, what's kind of funny is when I met up with, with Richie back in, in October 19, we all, the four of us kind of brought up, Hey, like, you know, we're coming up on 20 years. Like, are we going to have a reunion? Because we've never really had one. I mean, I can't think of it. I mean, we've never really had like one of those significant like. There was a ten, and I'm pre- and I'm pretty sure there was a. There might have been a five and a ten. I think there might have been a fifteen. Uh, huh. When I talked to Paige, she said, "I think she said Kyle and Steph Spees planned the last one, which may may have been the fifteen. Okay, um, and, and I don't or the ten, but I, I don't think it was like heavily." Uh, promoted. You know, one of the things is that I don't think everyone was as well connected uh, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, the amount of people that check their Facebook messages to find out about the the reunion probably weren't enough to satisfy what you would consider. Yeah. It's a a, yeah. A reunion. Um, I know that with everything, you know, everyone's kind of trying to figure out when they can even think about planning something like this, but Paige has said that she is actually a hundred percent on board on like helping to organize this. Uh, we got an APB out on Steve DeSantis, our class president, not quite sure where he, where he is. Uh, but Paige is as a class officer, Paige has said that she's committed to, to helping and, and being on board to organize a real deal reunion whenever travel can be, can be a reality for us. Yeah. I mean, that, that'd be fun. I mean, just to kind of, I mean, we were, the thing is, we were such a small class, you know, we were such a, just, there's so few of us and, you know, we lost quite a few people over the years that it'd be nice to have that and kind of get back together and just, you know, just to have that. Yeah. You know, I, I hear, obviously now I talk to so many people from school, but one of the biggest things is just like how people, I guess I assume that everyone still kind of stayed in touch. And what I'm learning is that even if it looked like they were friends because they were liking pictures or whatever, they didn't really, a lot of people who were friends haven't really had 
a connection, a real connection with each other. And over the last like year or two now, people are like, hey, I'm like actually talking to them or we're doing and you know, now the Zooms are a thing. Like people are getting together with these Zoom chats and people who hadn't really talked because of kids and and just life and everything, seven, eight, nine years now are getting together quarterly or or every few months. And and it's made, that's the same thing. But I'm like talking over Zoom, you know, and or yeah, phone no, calls and and reconnecting again, kind of like what you like what you said with 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 Ryan and, and Rishi and everyone. And even though you guys consider yourselves friends, you guys hadn't really all seen each other in like a decade. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about it like that. You know, growing up, you'd see them almost every day. And then, you know, like we sat down. It's like this is the first time we've been together in like 10 plus years. Like we were such close friends. Like what? How did we lose touch? And then, I still I still talk to those guys, you know, via text or, or whatever, um, you know, not regularly, but but more so since that meeting than than before that. So it's 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 just, blows my mind it's like you, know, you get so lost in life and, and and everything else and it's nice to have that where you can meet back up with people that you were so close with it's, it's really nice to have that yeah and it really does it does feel like oh sorry god no go ahead no go ahead i was gonna say just it does feel like now that you know now that so many people are doing that i think it's just going to add to the fuel to make the reunion a reality for everybody because i think now everyone's especially now everyone's been trapped and people just want to see people but more so everyone's been connecting and I think people are going to be really anxious to get together and do a reunion for real. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it'd be great. I mean, just to meet up and see people you haven't seen in 20 years. You know, I, I, I moved halfway across the country. It's like, you know, it'd, it'd be great to see those people and, and reminisce and, and, you know, just hang out. Yeah. And yeah. Who, I mean, who knows? Now it's funny because I I wouldn't have thought that prior to the podcast I wouldn't have thought that you know three years ago four years ago that it would be great to to meet up with people and reminisce but now like my mindset has completely changed on that. Yeah. It, it's it's funny as you get older you know you you kind of like man it'd be it'd be nice to see these people you know it's it'd be nice to see these just to hang out and just you know hey what's what's been going on in your life and see you know where people are at and you know, it blows my mind and, you know I see on Facebook and stuff people have kids and. You know, it's like, God, it's like, you know, it, it just blows my mind. Yeah, we, we, we've become real adults. <laughs> we, were, we are real people now. We have real responsibilities and consequences. We do. Well, Pat, this is normally the time if we were able to do this podcast face to face, this would be the time that I would pull out this yearbook here. Okay. And I would ask you to sign it for me. Okay. But since we can't do that. I'm just going to have to take a look at your entry. Sure. And you'll have to just live through it with me. Sure. Uh, so we've got you down for orchestra nine through 12. Now, yeah. what's the difference between orchestra and band? So orchestra was all the, the string instruments for band was like the, you know, trombones, clarinets and stuff like that. So orchestra was like violins, viola, cello, bass. And that was pretty much it. Okay. Um, We've got you for horticulture club in 12th grade. Yeah. I don't know why I did that. Interact club in 12th grade. That was Mrs. Ingram, right? It might've been. And I, I feel like this was, I feel like this was with Ryan. I feel like Ryan did this as well. Interact club so. and debate club in 12th grade. Yes, which debate, he talked was Ryan, oh, debate club with Ryan Dunn. And we had a debate at upper Dublin high school. And Ryan and I, 
did not take it seriously and lost horribly. No. We just did we just did it just to like do it just to be like kind of jerks. And the people that we were debating against were like super serious. And like we we just made it this farce and we we lost so bad. But we didn't care. We came and we accomplished what we came to accomplish, which is just making a farce. Uh, and then we've got, so I, I meant to look this up, but you'll have to tell me who this is. Your quote is, all who would win joy must share it. Happiness was born a twin. Lord okay, Byron. So this, yes. Okay. So that was because at the time, my twin brother was in a very bad spot. And it, it, it personally hurt me that we didn't get to graduate together. Um, and so I had that quote that happiness was a twin because I was born a twin and even though Tom and I ran with different circles of friends, we still had that bond. We were still brothers, you know, outside of school, we were pretty close. So with Tom not graduating um, with me, it just personally really hurt. So I figured I'd put that quote in there about happiness being a twin is that my happiness was my twin brother. And that was the reason that I put that in there. And I forget where I found that quote. I think I stumbled across it getting lost on, on something. And I'm like, you know what, that's like, perfect quote for me right now where i'm at because i don't have my twin brother with me that's for me that was like the most appropriate thing but the paying tribute to my brother because i missed him and he wasn't there that's so interesting you know when you talked about um how you guys kind of had like a separate you know separate life separate world i guess i kind of looked at it as like you were just doing your own thing and i, I guess i kind of forget about the bond being an only child i forget about like that bond still of um you know you guys were born together and you you probably have an expectation to graduate together. Yeah. Like I said, even though Tom and I ran with different circles of people, we still were brothers and we still had that bond. And even though, you know, I'm one of four kids, you know, Tom and I always had that bond and we always were close and had that connection. Um, and it was, just, it was just one of those things like, you know, just even though we were two different people, we still were kind of the same person and still had that, that really close bond. And even today, you know, even though, you know, he has a family, wife and kids, we're still very, very close. We still, you know, hang out, talk and play golf together. Um, you know, that's kind of just what we do. And as we've gotten older, we've actually gotten a lot closer, um, especially now that, you know, I have two nephews and, you know, just, you know, it's just, he, he is my other half, if you will say that. It reminds me of, of what Lizzie said with in reference to Andy that, in growing up, it was awesome having kind of like a built-in best friend. It seems like now that you've actually, you guys have found your way back to each other uh, at this stage in your life, living in the same, in the same house. Like it does feel like, like you've, you've got that built-in best friend. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it, it's, it's nice to, to live with, with him and, 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 you know, we just, I don't know, we just, we just connected and, and, you know, we, I don't know. We just help each other out. And we're just, we're like you said, like, we're like two best friends. And it's just, we just, as we've gotten older, our bond has gotten a lot stronger and, you know, we can piss each other off and we can argue and we can have a lot of fun at the same time. You know, we have a lot of the, a, a lot of common interests, um, you know, golf, food, um, wine. My brother runs coffee for a living. He owns his own business here in Austin. So that's pretty cool. What's it called? Uh, third coast, uh, third coast coffee. Okay. So, you know, it's just, we, we took a long time to get where we're at. We're glad that we're here. It's sweet, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's, it's, it's nice. That's good to hear. So. Uh, and then your, uh, your, your farewell is mom, dad, Chris, 
Katie, thanks, and Tom, best of luck. I'm a sea cow, mer. Oh, that was for Ellen Opplinger. So, so Ellen and I had a, a you know a really good friendship, and we used to have these stupid little sayings. And I'm a sea cow. I don't even remember what that was, but I feel like I can picture you like going around the hall doing this. Yeah, it was it was something stupid, and I'm a sea cow. It was just it was just something stupid, and just <laughs> I forgot about that. Um. And then you shoot, you shout out Rishi, Godi, Mangina. <laughs> Ryan Dunn. Okay. Right. Okay. So, so Ryan Dunn had a lot of nicknames growing up. Um, there was, or maybe Mangina was Ellen. I don't know. We had a lot of stupid nicknames. Um, so there's, there's another one in here that will maybe help you decipher okay. which one's which. Cause then you go Katie, Ellen, Scotty B, Maltese. Okay. So actually Maltese was Malta. Malta was Ryan Dunn. Okay. Okay. So funny story. So, so there's a book called the Jew of Malta and Ryan Dunn being Jewish, we started calling him Malta. And one day we're hanging out and somehow it became, I think Rishi said, look, it's standing Malta, which we then shortened to Smalta. And that was Ryan's nickname. Now, Mangina, that may have been a reference, I think, to Ellen. I don't remember Mangina, but yeah. But Maltese was a typo on Wissahickon's part. It should have been Malta. Oh. Yeah, that was a typo on their part. Okay. So. I don't remember who Mangina was. Scotty B. Scott Beck. Who's Katie? My. Katie. EY. It's Uh, Katie um, with an EY. Katie. Oh, she was blonde. I can't think of her last name. Boyle now? God, I can't think of her last name now, but Katie, we were in Harmony. I think she got she was Boyle. on Baseball, but I think she Boyle. Katie Bickley was her married Boyle. name. Katie Boyle. Boyle. Maybe that was uh, Katie, uh, sorry, Katie Coyle. Katie Coyle, yes, there it is. Yeah. I think yeah, Bickley, I think is her. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the B from Bickley and move and changing yeah, it to Katie Boyle. Coyle. Yeah, yeah, Katie Coyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh she listens to the show. Shout out to Katie. She's fun. Yeah. God, that was so long ago. And then Sarah. Is that Sarah Foster? Yes. God, whatever happened to her? Last I heard, I used to talk to her on AIM a lot when we were like in college or maybe right after. And last I heard, she was like in maybe Seattle, Portland, Northwest area. I think she got married. I'm pretty sure she was a librarian. Yeah, we used to, uh, before school, we would hang out in her car and listen to music. You know, you get the... Yeah, she was really nice. Uh, yeah, last I heard, I think she was a librarian. I actually did try to find her recently. I couldn't find her on any social media. Huh. I keep Keep trying. Um, and Dance Party USA. That was that was Sarah Foster. Margo dot dot dot. It was Margo Matthews. We were we were friends because she played the violin and viola, and we were friends with the orchestra. Okay. Because we had met, I think, in middle school, and we just we just had, we just had a good friendship all throughout middle school and high school. Little known fact: Margo was little orphan Annie. Margo and your first friend and Andrea knew were both was shared the role of little orphan Annie in my in my uh, debut in the middle school musical as uh, in Annie as Daddy Warbucks. So I had these. <laughs> so with both Margo and Andrea, I had these like awkward like you have to hug this girl like you love her and <laughs> you know sit on the <laughs> lap and like just these awkward like guy girl interactions i was not comfortable having yet yeah right <laughs> <laughs> um and you know what this is you 
But I've just gotten fatter. I've just gotten fatter. I picture you with like way like froyer hair, way curlier, froyer hair than this. No, I I, number one on the Clippers is the best thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't have time for that anymore. Dude, that's why I got the hat. If like whatever's going on under here, it's like it's too much. The quarantine hair is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, no, I'm past due for a haircut. So, well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. this. Is like so we did it so quick. This was like one of the easiest ones to set up. Like a couple of days ago, and you're just like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, I, I actually was I was I was looking forward to it and looking. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad you reached out. So yeah, man, it was definitely fun. You yeah, know? absolutely. Definitely a great way to start my Sunday off. You know what's funny is when what this is the exact type of. Uh, way I did Ryan face to face, but it was like a Sunday morning at like 10, 11 AM, uh, just kind of like sunny day. And it was like an awesome, just very peppy, unboozy podcast. I think I, I think I, I hold the conversation a little bit more uh, intellectual in those cases. So I, I was, well, I, mean, I was, was sharp. If it was, if it was later on in the day, I would definitely have a, a cocktail adult beverage in my hand, but no, I was like, uh, Pat, I would have just, I would have just dragged into the gutter then. Yeah, right. It, it, it would have gotten dark. <laughs> Tell me who you hate. <laughs> yeah, right. Who's the assholes? So, no, I'm, I'm glad we did this. It was fun to reconnect, and you know, I, I am totally down for a, a, a face-to-face reunion once we can figure out how we can do it, and all this, all this whatnot is is behind us, and you know, we just look forward to just kind of reconnecting with people. It's, it's kind of fun. You kind of reminisce and brought up a lot of great memories and, you know, it just kind of makes you just kind of appreciate, you know, life and where we grew up and, you know, living in Texas, it's totally different than the East coast. So it just makes you appreciate people and relationships and just enjoying the day. It totally does. It totally does. Well, you have a good day. It was good talking to you. So you too, thanks, you too. Right. Take it easy. Peace. Later. Peace. All right. That was my conversation with Pat Novak. The reason I started the podcast by asking Pat if I was an asshole was because literally one hour before we connected, I thought Pat saw me enough throughout the years in classes to get a good sense of my character versus a lot of classmates that just saw me from a distance and knew me as the kid in musicals. But there's something about these early recordings that we do. Pat was so pleasant to talk to. And once we got going, he really opened up. I was surprised by his interest in medicine only to decide that it wasn't for him after all. And this is quickly becoming the most common theme amongst classmates. It was also really nice to hear Pat's thoughts on his brother Tom surrounding graduation and his yearbook quote. And hearing how close they are now made that quote even more impactful, I thought. So thanks again to Pat for sharing his story. And if anyone is in Austin, Texas, look up Pat's restaurant, True Lux, T-R-U-L-U-C-K-S, and they're even doing curbside. In two weeks, my guest will be the third girl I ever loved, my fourth grade crush, formerly Chrissy Krause, now Christy Redner. This is an in-person conversation. Yeah, and we talk about uh, my memories of pining for Chrissy in elementary school and based on those interactions, the lesson that she learned, whether or not Chrissy even knew that I had a crush on her. And one of the more embarrassing moments in my life that happened in sixth grade that officially ended my crush with Chrissy. We officially enter into Awkward City. But Chrissy also reveals a lot about her life and maybe some things that people didn't know. 
This is one of the things that I always envision the podcast being. And yeah, I am sweating for like the first 30 minutes of this interview. YouTube.com slash RedshirtPlaya. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram. I am at RedshirtPlaya everywhere. That's it for me. I will be back in two weeks on a Monday morning with my guest, Christy Redner, a.k.a. Chrissy Krause. Later.